All right, today we begin our journey for the next 11 or 12 weeks. It's not like the book of Revelation where it could just go on forever. We do have an end date to this. And um, the next 11 to 12 weeks on grace. Our series is called Grace Upon Grace. And actually, grace is the foundation of our belief. All other religions point to some kind of leader or God, but all other religions, all other belief systems are about merit or works. Christianity is different because it's not about works, it's all about grace. Amen? So as we start this series, I'd like to make a case for grace. I believe that most, if not all of us in this room, that we would believe in grace. Yet within all of us, there's likely a little bit of law or a little bit of legalism that we must follow to feel good or as if we have a good relationship with God. For example, I remember growing up and feeling like I sinned or failed my parents or failed a friend, uh, failed myself or failed God. So what I would do is after I, after I got caught cheating at school, I wouldn't cheat in that class for the next three days. Math class, I always had to cheat, right? But what I felt like is if I didn't cheat for three days, that I would earn God's grace back. Anyone ever felt like they could earn God's grace back by just not doing something for a few, for a few days, a week? You just kind of say, hey, if I do this, then God loves me again. Then after you do that, or after you don't do that, then um, you feel like his grace is back on you again. So we all have this little bit of law and legalism. And we see law and legalism all the time in human relationships. For example, the spouse says something or doesn't do something. So what do they do? They go buy flowers or they buy a milkshake. They give unsolicited back rubs. They clean the house a little bit. They change a few more diapers. Or they give you the nod to buy something you've been wanting to buy, like candles, for the next season. Now, we often do this because what we want to do is we want to earn the grace of our friend or our spouse or whoever back. So what we do is we say, if we want to earn their grace back, then we're going to have to, by legalism or by law, earn it back by doing something. Anyone ever done something for a spouse to try to earn the relationship back? Or a friend? In our house, flowers do not work. It just doesn't work. Macy loves flowers, but going to go buy flowers for Macy after I um, let the dog puke sit on the floor for a week just doesn't do it. Clean up the dog puke, and then everything's normal, right? Just do your job. So what's interesting to me is this seems to be the standard within human relationships. If you wrong me, I will write you off. Or you will pay a price, or you will earn it, or you will work your way back into my trust. 
And if um, you don't do what they require, so if, yeah, if you don't do what they require, they in the rawest form say to hell with that person. We have that within our culture that if you wrong someone, you need to earn your way back into a relationship with them. And if not, get away from me. And there's probably some of us within this room that have had a hard time forgiving someone or walking in reconciliation with them. And right now, what we've done is we've pushed them so far off to the side because we say, you can do nothing to earn your way back into my life. Likewise, because we as humans have created this system of merit within our relationships, we've also created that same type of system or understanding of how we earn our way to God. We have created a theology around earning our way to him. You guys have already addressed that you've tried to earn your way by not doing something for a few days. So why have we created this theology? So today I want to make a case for grace. See, we believe we are saved by grace. Amen? We are saved by grace. But we also believe if we preach grace that it will lead us to becoming an inclusive culture. Amen? We're afraid to preach grace because we're afraid that what that will lead us to is something anti-biblical leading the church. So why are we afraid to do that? That's why we're having this series. Because we want to help empower us to understand what the grace of God is and how it's far greater than what we ever imagined. So if we embrace grace, it can have a profound impact on our lives. If you and I will embrace it, engage it, participate in it. Titus 2, 11 and 12 say this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Amen? Salvation to all of us. But... Here's what's often not taught about grace. This is why people are afraid that if we, or this is the empowerment of why we can preach grace. It teaches us to say no to the ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. What we often think that grace does is grace gives me permission to live however I want. So we become afraid of it. But grace doesn't enable us to live however we please. According to Scripture, grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Have you guys ever thought about that, about grace? Because when the church often thinks about grace, they think about grace means, well, if I give grace to that person, what that means is that person's going to keep on sinning. No, if they're experiencing the true reality of the grace of God, that grace will empower them to live godly lives. The grace of God will give them the ability to not chase after their worldly passions. 
And where the church has been deceived is maybe we have sinned before, or not maybe, we have sinned before, and then we say the grace of God has covered me, and then we keep on remaining in that sin. And what Titus here is telling us, the book of Titus is telling us, is actually the grace of God will empower you to leave that sin. How many of you guys need empowered by the grace of God today? Grace teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So grace is defined as God's free and undeserved favor. And it comes without any price tag. You can't buy it. Romans 3, 24 through 26. I'm just going to read 24, though. I think you should read. Um, mark that down, write it down, and uh, study it. 24, yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. So grace is free to everyone. You cannot earn it. You don't deserve it. You can't go buy it because it's without a price tag. Romans 11.6 tells us, and since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. So this favor, this undeserved favor comes from what? God's grace, God's nature, who he is. And since we wrestle with our understanding of grace, and here's how we wrestle with it. We don't want to freely give grace to people. And then if we do want to freely give grace to people, we're afraid to give grace to people because if we want to give grace to people, then we say they're going to continue in their sin. So what does scripture tell us about grace? Because we want to freely receive it by God, from God. We don't want to give it to others. And if we do want to give it to others, we're afraid to give it to others. Amen? No one else? I'm the only one who feels that way. Because here's what I recognize when I get confused by all of that. Why is it that I will freely receive it, barely give it, and then be concerned when it happens why am I that way? So what I recognize is grace enables me to connect with him. And when I connect with him, I grow in my grace. I grow in my knowledge of grace. And throughout this series, that's what we want. We want for you to grow in the understanding of God's grace. And Peter encourages us to do that. 2 Peter 3.18 but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be uh, glory both now and forever. Amen. He's telling us that we need to grow in our grace and our knowledge of grace. You and I must grow in our knowledge and understanding of his grace. And when we learn more about grace and experience, in our and experience it in our life, it changes us. Because grace isn't something that we're naturally, in, naturally inclined to do as humans, as our past experiences often stop us from understanding God's grace. How much of your past affects your view on grace? 
How much of your past do you feel like God has forgiven? How much of your past do you feel like has disqualified you from boldly proclaiming him in your life? A lot of our past keeps us from feeling like we can boldly approach the throne. Something we've done this week is challenging us and telling us that we can't boldly approach the throne. Something that's happened in our life or that we did in our life tells us we could never be a Christian that God loves. Why? Because we think that we have to earn it. There's this unique story about this man called Billy Moore. In the 70s, there was a man from Georgia who was in the military. His name was Billy Moore. When Billy came home from being deployed, he found his wife using drugs and not taking care of their son. To protect his child, Billy felt like there was only one thing that he could do, take his son and move out. So one of his friends said, Billy, I have a trailer. You can come live with me. And uh, that's what Billy did. Billy decided that it would be appropriate for him to take his son and get him out of the situation. One of the issues, though, was that um, Billy, uh, Billy's checks were in his wife's name. So since he was deployed, he had his checks so that she could deposit them written in her name. So he went to the military and he said, before I go move in in the um, trailer with my buddy, can I just get the checks in my name? Well, the military said, yes, you can get the checks in your name, but this is going to take up to 90 days. So Billy finds himself in a predicament. He comes home. He loves his son. He also loves his wife, but she's doing hard drugs. He doesn't want his son around that. Now his, he can't get his checks, and what's he going to do? His buddy invites him to come live with him in the trailer, so since he can't get his checks, Billy goes to live with his buddy in the trailer. Well, after a couple of weeks of that, Billy not being able to get a job quickly, not being able to figure out what he's supposed to do, his buddy told him that he knows a guy up the road who doesn't believe in banks and that all of his money is in the house. And he heard that there was anywhere from thirty dollars to $50,000 in the house. Now, Billy, within his nature, is not someone who would rob someone. But now he's feeling desperate that he needs to do something for his son. So if he could go get two dollars to $3,000 and the person not be home, then maybe he could do that and possibly pay it back one day. So what Billy ended up doing is one night, he decided to go rob this person who didn't believe in banks. Upon arriving inside the property, the homeowner had his shotgun. He had his security for his bank. Billy also had a pistol with him. And after he heard a shotgun make a noise, Billy fired down a hallway that he didn't see anyone. And he ended up murdering the homeowner. The next morning, he was arrested, put in prison, and sentence, sentenced to death by electric chair seven days later. What to do? Billy made a mistake. He got caught up in the moment and made a decision for his son and for his family 
that was inappropriate, that was not godly, that was not even within his nature. He had regret. And the day that he's in prison, the day that he got his sentence, he said, what was I doing? What was I thinking? How in the world could I have ever made this type of decision? So what ended up happening is two random people from a church who felt unqualified to go talk to a prisoner ended up going to go talk to Billy the next day. And what they ended up doing is they ended up sharing the gospel of Jesus with Billy. They shared about his love and his sacrifice. They shared about grace. And that night, five days before Billy was to be sentenced to death by electric chair, he repented of his sins and gave his life to Jesus. What was interesting, though, is after he gave his life to Christ, his death row was pushed back 13 times over 16 years when he was only supposed to live seven more days. Why would Billy's execution have been pushed back 13 times? Well, during this time, he was serious about his life with Christ. He led Bible studies in prison. He counseled inmates. How about this? He even reconciled with the family of the person that he murdered. That family was willing to be gracious and forgive him. He became friends with that family. We have held grudges and been far less gracious in people's lives when someone just simply passes us, right? We're still holding grudges with someone who passed three people and swerved in front of us. We're still holding on to that. We're still talking about that when we have coffee at the local restaurant every morning. You won't believe what this guy did to me three months ago. Yeah, yeah Jerry, we've heard this story 14 times. You won't believe what this person did to me, or I can never have a relationship with them because of this. Because we are a culture of people who say, you must earn your way back to me. And then we're just like, there's nothing actually you can do to earn your way back to me because I'm better than you. But yet God is a person. Jesus Christ is the person who says, hey, look, it's all about grace. So they reconciled. The prison ended up saying this, that for all the time that Billy Moore was there, it was safer, it was better, more people came to Christ than they've ever seen. God changed a murderer's heart. So I wonder, if God can change a murderer's heart, and if God can be gracious in a murderer's heart, what do I need to do? I need to grow in my grace. I'm going to share the rest of Billy's story. But first, how many of us want Billy to get what he deserves? How many of us want justice immediately? How many of us are frustrated that Billy got 16 extra years of life? 
I've been in conversations with people here, right? We want justice immediately. We want that person to get what they had coming for them. And if I got what I had coming for me, and if you got what you had coming for you, what do you get? Hell. That's what we get. But what ends up happening is we compare ourselves to the world rather than comparing ourselves to Jesus. See, um, this can often be frustrating because of law and legalism, of rule-keeping. We want to get out of the speeding ticket, but when the person who passes us going 70, we want them to get the ticket and reckless op. Come on, somebody, I'm preaching. <laughs> Make it plain. Anyone ever feel that way? <laughs> I want... Officer, I was just going 12 over. But then that bleep and bleep and bleep, we never say the words, right? We only think them in our mind. Some of y'all say them. Sometimes I've said them. We want them to get what they had coming for them. This can often be because we believe in grace but we also believe in legalism. So through this series, even through today, I want you to address, do you believe in God's grace or do you believe in legalism? Do you believe in God's grace or do you believe in law? God freely forgave Billy, but we often tend to hold things against people and God doesn't work that way. Romans 5, 6 through 8, you see, at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While Billy was still a sinner, Jesus died for his sins. While you and I were still sinners, Jesus died for us. Not when you didn't speed for three days, not when you didn't gossip for 12 hours, not when you didn't complain for two minutes. While you were still a sinner, while I was still a sinner, while we were still against God, he died for us. What did you do to earn God's grace? So no matter what your yesterday held, Jesus died for it. Jesus even died for your today and for your tomorrow. This is why we need to grow in our understanding of God's grace. Because as we grow in our understanding of God's grace, we, we see the undeserved favor that we have in our life. That grace is freely given. Because grace is the bridge that allows us to have a relationship with Jesus. 
So what ends up happening is God's grace allowed Billy to have an additional 16 years alive. Now I'd like to get back to his story. His extra 16 years has now come to an end. Death row is finally at the door. So he's been through this time. He's in prison, doesn't get to know his son, isn't married, on death row. He receives a letter from his ex-wife. The letter said this, William, I want to let you know that the son is not yours. I got a DNA test. So a week before he is to die, he realizes the mistake that he made wasn't even for his son. The regret, the frustration, the questions. The 16 years of being in a cell wasn't even worth it. So he was confronted with the mistake that he made. But in spite of the prison guards and the whole prison and uh, people there liking him, no matter how much they didn't want him to go to death row, he had to. So after he read the letter, the guards shaved his head, understanding that within the next five days, he would be put on the chair. Now, when you do a little bit more research in Billy's story, you can understand a little bit more that he was going through. So they shaved his head, and he just kind of waited, right? Of course, he pondered the next life, pondered the decisions that he made. But he knew that he would be with Jesus. He knew that this life paled in comparison to what was to come. So they shave his head, and he just waits and waits and waits. It was the day before he's getting ready to be in the chair, and a, spe a special case was filed for him. And um, the special case was filed in partnership with the family of the person that he murdered. The family of the person that he murdered with another attorney filed a, filed a case that would get him off death row. Talk about grace. How could a person... How, how could you, how could I ever fight for someone who murdered a loved one for them not to get what they deserve? I can't do that in my human form. We recognize we can't forgive people in our human form for far less. How do we do it? We do it by the grace of God. See, the family was experiencing the grace of God and they were believers, so they forgave. Billy was experiencing the grace of God. And he was okay with paying the price of his sins from a worldly standpoint. Because from a spiritual standpoint, he knew. He knew that God forgave his sins and paid that price. But from an earthly standpoint, he was willing to do it. So a special case was filed. And after the prison stood up for Billy, after uh, the family that Billy murdered stood up um, for Billy, after inmates stood up for Billy, 
the court system ended up forgiving Billy and Billy is alive today. Amen? Don't we have a little bit of, well, I recognize a little bit of hesitation. Billy is alive today. Amen? Some of us don't want to forgive Billy right now. Some of us in this room think that Billy has it coming for him. God has forgiven Billy. And to this day, Billy is married, and Billy is also a pastor. God can redeem everything by his grace. And you say, how could Billy be forgiven? Well, what about Paul? Paul was a murderer. Y'all love Paul's writings. Well, you don't love them. You agree with them, but you don't like them. Paul was a murderer. Saul turned into Paul. Billy is a pastor today, happily married. What's interesting is Billy didn't earn his way to Christ. Immediately after Billy sinned, immediately after Billy murdered someone, God was knocking on the door of his heart. God's grace sent someone there to talk to him. People who felt unqualified to talk to a prisoner, but people who were willing to bring up Jesus. Billy's story isn't one by which he earned or worked his way to God. It is a story by which Billy received unmerited favor. This is a story by which Billy received grace. And what I want to say is this is, in a way, Billy's story is our story as well. A lawbreaker at heart who needs rescued. We are lawbreakers at heart who need rescued. Amen? You're like, well, I'm not a lawbreaker. Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And not only did we all fall short of the glory of God because we're all sinners, you and myself, we didn't choose him. He chose us. You realize that? He chose you. You didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to choose God because I'm a good person. I'm going to choose God because I'm a Christian. God chose you. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Did you choose God? No. He chose you. Amen? It's biblical. And he chose us because grace was always his idea. Grace isn't a man-made idea because man wouldn't choose grace. We choose law. We would choose works. But grace is always and has always been his idea. And throughout this series, we are going to be challenged to let go of our legalistic ways of life to find absolute faith in the grace of God that he has always planned for you and I. 
Romans 8, 29 says this. For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God knew from the beginning of time that you and I would mess up. So the predestination here is not that he picked specific individuals that would be in heaven or go to hell. The predestination here is referencing that God knew that we would sin. God knew that we would need a savior. So what did he do? He preordained that his son would die on the cross and be murdered so that we could have a relationship with him. He preordained that grace would appear. In his foreknowledge, he preordained that Jesus would die. And he knew that the only way for us to be in his presence was to have our debt fully paid. So as we understand, the wages of sin is what? Death. So wages is referencing there has to be some kind of payment. So since the wages of sin is death, our debt that we created when we sinned had to be paid. God knew that we would sin, and because God knew that we would sin, then those wages had to be paid, and he preordained that Jesus would pay those wages in full by grace and grace alone. So in his great love for you and I, God loves you all very much. So in that great love, grace appeared. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever uh, believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Grace appeared in the one and only Son of God. Amen? God's plan was that Jesus, or grace, would break the power of sin so that we are not measured by our own merit, our own works, or our own holiness. We are married, or we are uh, measured by the work of the cross. And not only are we measured by that, but when Jesus died on the cross, what did he say? The work is finished. He said, it is finished. Grace is now the standard because it is finished. John 19, 28 through 30. Jesus knew that his mission was now finished and to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put it on a hyssop branch, and held it up to his lips. When Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So while Jesus is hanging on the cross, after he was beaten and abused, and murdered. After he died a death that you and I were supposed to die, he said, it is finished. The work of grace, the work of reconciliation is done. It's complete. I don't know about you guys, but when something is finished, what does that mean? You're done. Nothing else can be added or subtracted from it. Romans 6.10 says this, when he died, he died once to break the power of sin. 
But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. He died once. It's complete. The work of grace is finished. So when we think that we cannot gossip for three hours and that we can earn our way back to God, we think, or we are actually saying we don't believe Scripture. Because what we're saying is we don't believe that the work of grace and the work of reconciliation is finished. What we think is, well, Jesus did something. Now I can do something else, and then I'm better. You guys remember the series that we went through in Galatians where Paul says this. He says, accursed or damned be anyone that adds anything to the cross of Christ. Why? Because grace was completed and grace was finished. The work of grace, the work of forgiveness, the work of reconciliation is finished. It's complete. Jesus paid it all. Amen. Throughout this series, we're going to learn that. Grace is the only way to Jesus. Grace doesn't overlook sin. Grace empowers us to overcome it. That's a mind shift that we need to get. Grace is not overlooking. Grace is empowering. And then finally, grace isn't grace if it's based upon works. So I say this, today, maybe you're a legalist. You often hold yourself and you often hold others to rules and laws and earning a way to a relationship. Um, maybe today you try to add works to the cross by saying it's grace plus something else. Or maybe today you've never repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ for the remission of those. Maybe today you're like Billy Moore, someone who's made mistakes but never put their faith in Jesus Christ. So you've never received God's grace. Maybe today you're burnt out and you're not walking in the freedom of grace. Maybe you're saying, God, I need to grow in grace, like Peter says, because I'm not very good at it. I'd like to offer you guys an opportunity today, an opportunity to repent, because grace is everything. For those of us who don't understand grace, we don't understand grace because we only want to understand what our minds can comprehend. We only want to understand what our minds can control. And when I start putting things into what I can control and not living by faith, then that means that I'm leading myself, and if I'm leading myself, that's idolatry. I've made myself God. Romans 11, 6 says this. If by grace, then, it cannot be based upon works. If it were grace, sorry, if it were, grace would no longer be grace. 
So if by grace, then it cannot be based upon works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. So grace cannot be grace if it's based upon works, right? If not, it's not grace, it's works. So as I pray over these next couple moments, wherever your heart is today, the legalist, the person who's never put their faith in Christ, the one who's burnt out, the one who's concerned with grace, the one who hasn't forgiven someone, the one who's holding other people to certain standards, just allow God to have access to your heart and ask him to open up your heart in the ways of grace over this next season. Let's pray. Father, help us grow in grace. I pray that we would encounter your grace and your love and your mercy right now. May we understand that grace empowers us to live godly lives. It's not just a um, go live however you want. But Father, no matter the past mistakes that we've made, even the mistakes we probably made this morning, thank you for dying for them and forgiving them. I pray that we would choose to put our faith in such a good, good God because there's only one. Pray that you would bless the food to our bodies, bless this time of fellowship today. And may we be empowered saints this week. In Jesus' name, amen.